0: My name is uh, Manny Pollard. I'm one of the pastors um, here. We rotate teaching on a weekly basis, typically. um, And we are (laughs) um, still in Genesis, and we just go verse by verse, book by book. Not always books in order, uh, but we've been in Genesis since, like, March of last year. And we are on the last section for the next couple months uh, together. Um, but before we start, I just I want to invite everybody to pray. We have a, a dear brother to me. His name is Terry Thomas, who is a pastor here in town at Lifting Up Jesus Church and also helps lead the Black Prayer Network. And he's just become a great friend of mine over the last couple of years, and he's uh, going through a little bit of a battle right now with a, kind of a spinal infection, um, to say the least. And so if you just join me in, in silence and prayer uh, for him, his wife's name is Tommy. Um, And they do a great work. He's been a pastor, faithfully serving in Colorado Springs for 30 years. Um, And he kind of keeps, you know, a low profile. Uh, No one would be like, I don't know who that guy is, but um, he's a good friend of mine. So if you could just join me in prayer real quick, and then we will jump into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together this morning. God, I pray that we would be edified and encouraged and emboldened. Uh, Through what you have to share through your story and the word. But um, right now, I just pray for Terry. God, we pray for the doctors and the physicians that are working on him, Lord. um, I pray for the infection that has um, just come into his body, Lord. That you you would do your work and heal his body. Lord, allow for the medications and antibiotics to uh, do their job, too. And I pray that you'd give um, Tommy and the rest of the Thomas family Um, peace, be with their church this morning, um, as I'm sure there's confusion and uh, frustration and worry all at the same time, uh, knowing that our brother Terry uh, loves you and is in a great, secure place. Uh, But Lord, we just lift him up to you, and we just just ask in faithfulness that you continue to, to hold up that family and be with them. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so hey, my name is Manny. I'm one of the pastors here, and welcome. Uh, We are going to be in Genesis 39. If you need a Bible, they're usually in the racks in front of you or um, on the bookcases in the back. Um, You can definitely get one, but we'll be in 39 today. Uh, But last week, uh, Joel uh, got the the pleasure of uh, working through a somewhat disturbing and um, hard passage about uh, Judah and Tamar. Um, and I would encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to check it out, go to our website, go on our podcast, um, and read through it. Uh, but w- one thing that's really important to understand um, is we're jumping in the story of Joseph, and um, Joseph has significance for us uh, in when we're reading through it because it has to do with the nation of Israel, okay? A set-apart nation that God had created for Israel. Um, and sometimes we can confuse uh, the lineage of, of Jesus sometimes, and this story about Judah and Tamar is is talking about the the line for Jesus, not the nation of Israel, and sometimes we think that Joseph is the one that is the line of Christ, and so there's just some differences there, and so that's what the importance of that passage, and we also need to remember when we're reading through the five books of the Old Testament of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, Moses was specifically writing towards this audience of of the Jews saying, hey, how did we even get here? Like, how did we get to this place? Uh, And, you know, right after the story of Joseph, we get into Exodus, and what happens to the Israelites is they are in a uh, a place of bondage and slavery uh, to Egypt, and so we'll be reading um, through that, but sometimes when we jump into an Old Testament passage, we already kind of feel defeated, like we're not supposed to be reading through it, we're not supposed to be studying this, and we always kind of go to our safe places in Scripture, which is usually the, the New Testament. But for me, it's been a, a great challenging time to work through Genesis, right, is that we are able to see what God is doing his message for us and how it applies to us today. And so um, there's a lot of significance here. And then uh, some people call this a, a pro tip or a life hack. Okay, so I have one of those for you today, um, if I'm allowed to. You know, what's a pro tip? Someone that's, I guess been experienced, or they figured out a way to kind of work through some of that mental gymnastics of being in the Old Testament. Um, and one of that is, uh, there's this cool book, it's in our prayer room, and it's called The, the Faith of Israel, and it's just these short surveys of kind of uh, this guy, his name's William Dumbrell. Um, the pro tip is, you have to read sometimes to kind of get some, you know, experience uh, but these are quick little surveys that just kind of touch on different areas of the Old Testament. Uh, I would encourage you, anytime if you want this book, I'll get you some copies or whatever. It, it's been super helpful for me over the years um, to kind of just get some understanding of what was going on in the nation of Israel and, and how does it apply to Christ today, right? Because that can be the tension. That can be the, the source of frustration. The other pro tip is... Um, when you are working through the Old Testament, there's a lot of different storylines going on, right? So for me, um, one of my favorite movies—and it's a book, but I prefer movies over books—did I just say you have to read sometimes? But the it is the Lord of the Rings, right? The Lord of the Rings is awesome. You know what makes it so amazing is that there are different lines of journeys that are happening, right? You have these hobbits. Uh, Specifically, Frodo and Sam, and they're taking this journey to take this ring, right, to save the earth to Mount Doom. They're going to take that ring to Mount Doom, and they go on this epic adventure, right? And they have to save whatever this kingdom is, right? Um, Middle Earth. See, you guys know it better than I do, right? No, but they're saving Middle Earth. But then what's happening at the same time? You got this grumpy little dwarf, you have this elegant speaking elf, and then you have this angry, bearded man who has two different names, Strider and Aragon, which I always thought was cool. Maybe I need a second name. Uh, but, you know, they, they, are, they have a different storyline that serves the same purpose. So for us, what's happening in this historical text of the Bible is there's different things happening, different streams of things that are happening that ultimately serve to the greater promise and purpose that God has for us, right? Right? And sometimes it just helps kind of looking at it that way. But let's get our eyes on Genesis 39. Go ahead and turn there. And I'm going to read and I might stop and then talk a little bit more and then we'll have some application, okay? Get your eyes on Genesis 39. Real quick, in 37, what happens is Joseph, right, he tells his brothers he has these dreams and they get jealous Also, Jacob is showing favoritism to him, gives him the robe of many colors. And they decided to not kill him and do him a favor and sell him into slavery. So that's what's going on here when we get into 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. That sounds like a good life, right? <laughs> now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in the house than I am, nor has he kept anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as as she spoke to Joseph, day after day he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house, to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house. She caught him by his garment and saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and has fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until the, his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into, to me and to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. If you didn't know, she's lying. Obviously, she's misleading him. Verse 19, As soon as his master heard these words of it that his wife spoke, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him, put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. All right, so a pretty compelling story, pretty intense story, right? And just something, a little bit to know about Egypt, and most of us would know, you know, you study this pretty early on, in elementary age even, understanding that the the Egyptians, they, they were pretty sophisticated. They had a lot of things going on for them in that time period compared to any other nation, um, but they were also a pagan nation, right? They had many different gods, uh, but they were they were very sophisticated and they had a lot of order and structure. They were like the bosses at delegating. If you can notice, I mean, Potiphar, you know, brought Joseph in and basically, I need you to do everything for me, so all I have to worry about is what I eat, right? That that's what happened. So they they had that type of structure, um, and they also didn't they didn't love Hebrews. They they were basically enemies of one another. uh, Or they really, I don't want to say that Israel was an enemy of them, or saw Egypt as an enemy, but they saw the Hebrews as their enemy. And part of it was, is they were set apart. They lived differently. They had different values. You know, and Johnny talked about a couple weeks ago of how God had made a promise to Abraham, um, and that promise is being carried out, right? And then Joseph right now is going through the process, a process of being set apart, right, for that promise and for later on that perfection. Uh, but as followers of Christ, we, we can learn a lot here um, from Joseph. And part of it was, you know, Potiphar noticed Joseph almost immediately, right? And Potiphar didn't just have these selfish intentions just so he could, you know, worry about only what he was going to eat, but he saw where this was going to be very beneficial for the kingdom of Egypt, um, saw that his work ethic and just the way that he um, carried himself was different and beneficial. And so there are certain things that we can learn uh, from this narrative of how we should act as followers of Christ, and how we, we can take those with us. Uh, And the first one, as followers of Christ, in ways that we can learn, is that we are a witness of God to the whole world, not just within our Christian circles. And some of us may say, well, I thought the only way that I can be a witness is, you know, by the words that I say, or, you know, by having a, a cross, you know, on my car, or that little fishy thingy on my car, whatever, okay? But that's not the only way that we can be a witness to the world, Specifically for Joseph, it was through his work, right? Through the way that he worked. Uh, A lot of times, um, I know that not everyone uh, gets ecstatic about going to work and sharing the good news of Jesus, you know, verbally, right? That would intimidate some of us. Well, rightfully so, it is intimidating, and that's not what we're always asking for fellow Christians to do. Um, Actually, one of the best ways you can do that is, I, I call it being, a silent killer, right? A silent testimony, being a silent witness through the ways that we do our work. And um, when Potiphar basically assigns Joseph to this work, right, I mean, where they were, he was, uh, Potiphar was a, um, the captain of the guard, right? So basically he was a secret service agent for Pharaoh, okay? So Pharaoh's the king, he, rules everything, and Potiphar is one of his main guys, his head of security, and is is making these things happen. He's the captain of the guard. Well, Potiphar had his own operation, uh, his own mansion that needed to be, you know, I guess, administrated, and, and Joseph became, or got in charge of all those things, right? He was tasked with it, but it was because of his witness to the outside world that would allow him to do that work. And for you, sometimes we, we think, well, I'm just going to clock in, clock out, and go about my business. We need to be a little bit more mindful of the ways that we can be a witness in our workplace. Some of us don't have a workplace. It's the other areas that we go to, school, you know, amongst peers, if we don't have a specific job. But there, there are ways that we, we can do that. And actually, in Colossians 3.22, it says, bond servants... Obey in everything to those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, both with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, right? We should be taking this posture of saying, I want to be a servant for the Lord no matter where I go. For a lot of us, it just applies to our place of work. That's where we can be a silent witness, Verse twenty three of Colossians three twenty two says, "Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there's no partiality. Right. And so, so what's happening here for Joseph is, you know, instead of focusing on the injustices already, uh, how he got sold into slavery. His attitude in his heart is always pointed towards being a servant for God, even before Potiphar's wife gets involved, which we definitely will be talking about, right? But that's, that scandal in itself is a little bit different. Uh, and if you can imagine being Joseph, there's probably a lot of confusion. Uh, he got betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites, and now he's being sold into slavery again, right? There's a lot of turmoil, and it it doesn't really describe that. Um, Moses obviously didn't think that that part was important. But we can relate a lot with Joseph in that. And Joseph allows for this hardship to be turned into an opportunity. And he knew it wasn't his opportunity, it was God's opportunity. And he was leaning again on that promise that he had for him. Right? And that, that is also True for us. But I will I will say this, right? If we are going to be witnesses to the outside world, um, it also comes with a lot of scrutiny, right? I don't know about you, but you know, growing up when I was working at places, once people found out that I was a Christian, it was like they had different expectations on me compared to someone else. And that's always going to be true. There's always going to be a microscope or a magnifying glass on you. And we should, we should be aware of that. And Joseph obviously is a great example of how we could be, you know, faithful stewards and servants, regardless of where we work or where where we do things. Uh, But people are watching, right? Your kids are watching, your neighbors are watching. And so we, we should at least be mindful of it. Does it dictate how we do things? No, but we, we should be mindful of it right? Now, you'll notice that um, in verse 14, you know, that I was talking about that magnifying glass. In verse 14, after Potiphar's wife, um, you know, tries to seduce him, and he flees, and he runs away, she knew she had a a way to manipulate the narrative, right? She, She says, um, see, he, which is Potiphar, has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. Some of your versions might say uh, to play or to toy with us or to uh, mock us, right? She, was, she already was using kind of their, the lens they saw Hebrews through um, to, to kind of say, hey, look, they're just trying to, to say that they're better than us, that they, they know what's best, and they're just trying to mock me and then take advantage of me, which Obviously, wasn't happening, but that's what she did to manipulate it. And I've heard of some stories from people personally here where that's happened to them, where things have been manipulated just because of their beliefs, because of their, their certain faith beliefs. And that can be intimidating, right? That can be intimidating for us that we have kind of a target on our back, but I did find it interesting. Twice she says that, right? She says that in a testimony, um, a false testimony to uh, the men that come back into the house and lies about them. And then in verse 17, she says, this, The Hebrew servant who you brought among us came in to me to laugh at me and to mock me. Um, that was one way that they just kind of got a stronghold, was it because, because of a, a believer's reputation? And that's going to happen to us again. And we should not We should just be aware that that, and mindful that that's going to happen. But we need to continue to be faithful in that. So the first one, again, is we have an opportunity to be a witness to the outside world. The next one is um, that we have the opportunity to live with integrity. And when we live in integrity, it has more eternal gain than it has earthly gain. Okay? More of an eternal gain than an earthly gain. What did Joseph earn from having integrity on earth-wise? A prison cell, right? Okay. But there was a huge eternal gain. So much so, you know, it impacts the nation of Israel. Now, what is integrity? Uh, I just looked up the definition. Integrity is the quality of being honest and having a strong moral principle or moral uprightness. Uh, so you don't necessarily have to be a believer in God to have moral uprightness, right? But for us... That would be the why we do it. We have God has a standard, and we should have integrity in that standard. And that that integrity happens for Joseph. We'll unpack that a little bit. But my my friend, uh, well, it's not really my friend. I just read a lot of her books. But Brené Brown uh, says this. Okay, she's kind of she's kind of an important figure. But she says this about integrity, and it's a great definition. Okay, choosing courage or integrity is choosing courage over comfort. Choosing right over what is fun or fast or easy and choosing to practice our values rather than simply professing them, right? Letting our actions speak louder than words. That's part of integrity. But it has has deeper meaning, right? If we were just running around and doing the right things but it didn't have a purpose, what would be the point? And Joseph is understanding the point. Um, Now, notice Joseph's response to her the first time that she tries to seduce him. Um, After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and he said to her, okay, this is verse eight, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has to put everything that he has in my charge. Verse nine, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything from me. So literally he's saying like, I'm pretty sure I could get away with this. But I'm not, what, for two reasons. One, that would be disloyal to my master. But the bigger thing is that he didn't want to do this wickedness because it would be sinning against God. Right? I'd be, he'd be sinning against God. And so we, we have the opportunity in our own lives, right, to walk in integrity. And for all you know, intents and purposes, Joseph totally could have got away with this. But he knew the, the bigger thing was he was going to sin against the Lord. And secondarily, you know, doing the right thing for someone that had put trust in him, right? To to not sleep with his wife, which, you know, good for him, right? But he had a moral ground to stand on. He, he was walking in integrity. Uh, but living with integrity, right, is is righteous before the Lord, uh, but here, here's something that is hard for us to swallow, right? Is it costs us something. It, it costs us discomfort. It costs us to maybe miss out on super, certain things. I'm not, you know, we're not in this story, and it doesn't really imply it, but I'm sure that it, it probably could have crossed his mind saying, well, you know, I already have all this, these great riches, and I, I have great opportunity and blessing, and if I happen to give in to Potiphar's wife, I could probably gain more, right? Besides just self-satisfaction at the moment, that it would be, that'd be pretty great from a fleshly standpoint. You know, and although this is talking about lust and our passions, um, you know, in sexual sin, possibly, this applies in in a lot of different ways in our life, right? About the the temptation to be lazy, the temptation to lie, the temptation to not be honest in our work, or not be honest in our relationships. Because those things, you know, we all, we find ourselves in those tension spots, right? It's the desires of our flesh. And Joseph, again, is a great example of how not to do things and, and how to handle that. Um, this is something that I, I say often, um, and I encourage anyone to kind of take uh, this, this type of reaction. When, when your integrity or your character is being tested, and all of us have different avenues of that happens, right? When that is happening, I, I have to say to myself that, you know, integrity provides protection. So when, my, when I'm getting tested, if it's, again, you know, lustful passions, or the opportunity to be lazy, um, or the, the opportunity to kind of do what, get away with whatever I would want, because no one would know it, you know, I have to look at that eternal protection. And that eternal protection also can sometimes protect us from the earthly things too, right? We have seen where sin and people giving in to those temptations have, have wrecked many lives. Some of us are, you know, victims of that or collateral damage of certain things that people have done in our lives. And the nice thing is that that God understands that. That's That's why we have an amazing Redeemer in Jesus for us. Sometimes we don't get to, you know, indulge in that too much because that pain is still there. And we need to be reminded of that. Now, we shouldn't really take light, you know, of the temptations in our life. And that's why we have a body of believers to continue to encourage us and hold us accountable and to, to, you know, kind of live at a different standard. And for some reason, the enemy, um, even within church circles, um, has somehow gotten it, kind of a grip on people thinking that, you know, protecting yourself from sin or from temptation is all of a sudden like legalism, right? Hey, don't do that. You're, you don't want to be self-righteous. No, like, we... we I wouldn't call it self-righteousness, right? It'd be honoring to the Lord, just like Joseph was talking about, you know, saying, I I don't want to displease the Lord. But society continues to throw that in there as as saying, well, you're just some legalist, self-righteous person to want to protect yourself from these temptations. And that's, that's a lie, right? That's a lie from this world that we need to be conscious of. In 2 Timothy 2.22, it relates really well with Joseph because it says, so flee your youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Um, I love one version or one um, translation uh, that replaces that word run with saying shun, you know, shun out, like, Keep out the temptations in your life uh, because it's, it's going to benefit you here on earth, but it has eternal implications for us, right? It has eternal implications uh, for the way that we walk it out. Now, um, you'll notice that Potiphar's wife, she, she's pretty relentless, right, in her pursuit for Joseph. She gets rejected one time, he kind of tells her off, and she continues to press into it. We should be aware that the enemy's never going to stop putting temptations before us. And again, it's not just passionate pursuits of the, like our lust, right? It's, it's several different things. Um, and we need to be aware and mindful and being prayerful that we will be prepared to handle those temptations. Again, Joseph, a solid example of it. But when we let those dangerous things hover around us, like, it's, it's like playing with fire. Now, I've talked about my sons a lot, um, so I try not to talk about it all the time. But you know, a classic example would be: you know, if my kid is playing, you know, in the front yard and he's playing on the sidewalk and we live on a busy street, and I say, Hey, well, don't go run in the street, right? And at, at that time they were pretty young. Um, what did I need to do to keep them from running in the street? You know, instead of just like saying, "Hey, don't run in the street, don't run in the street," I had to remove them from the sidewalk, put them in the backyard, and kind of just say, like, "Okay, this is probably the safe place for now," right? For some of us, we have things that we shouldn't even allow to be in our lives. It's called setting up boundaries or rules, uh, so that you don't run into those temptations or seduced by them and i think part of it starts with recognizing the importance for integrity but just because you have good integrity doesn't mean that the world's not going to keep coming after you right joseph had great integrity and he still kept being pursued but there's another part of this right so we talk about having good integrity we talk about uh, protecting ourselves from the temptations And, and some of us here you know say man i've I've blown it so many times. I've messed up so many times. And there's good news. There's hope for all of us in that, you know. And uh, it's because Christ died for you so that you could be free of your sin. So you could be free of those things uh, that where you, there might be some weight on you today where you haven't been able to let go of certain things where you've fallen short. And we, we should continue to work with one another to work through those things to edify each other. But if you are walking here and you have some regrets, if you're disgusted with maybe some of your actions that you've committed in the past, you know, I just want to encourage you, there's hope. There is hope. But you know, I talked about those eternal and earthly gains, you know, sometimes the, those earthly things that happen hear the pains and the hurts, take some time to get back to or work through, right? And, you know, in this story with Joseph, we don't have to worry about our talk through that because he he stood up and had integrity and character, um, but we know that at the same time that Christ relates with us and knowing that we're going to fall short. There's stories all over where it says, hey, how many times should I forgive someone and he says, as many times as it takes, right? How many times should I be forgiven? As many times as it takes. But that can be, that can be tough for us to reconcile. Uh, but again, I think that's where we can be encouraged by God's word. Now, the last one, it talked about how we, we live in integrity as eternal gain, um, over earthly gain. Uh, the third one is, as a follower of Jesus we can t- trust that God is taking care of the injustice. Okay, so what, what happens here with Joseph is he does almost everything right, right? He, he plays this out. Uh, he, he listens to the playbook, if you will. He, he reads through it, and he's like, no, I'm going to stand in character. I'm not going to sin against this man, and I'm not going to sin against God. And what happens? He still gets thrown into jail. And this jail, uh, you know, you can imagine. It's, it's rat infested. It's not maintained. Basically, um, you know when it talks about how later he gets control or like they hand over control to to the jail. Like it's not like it's some monitored place by Pharaoh or Potiphar. They just they kind of throw him in there to forever, right? Chances are that anyone gets a, a rightful trial is are years, right? And so um, you can imagine that. Going from doing the right thing to being thrown into to jail probably didn't feel very good. And there, there's probably some of you that have done the right thing, and it was still unjust. You stood for integrity, maybe in your workplace, and you got the shaft, didn't get to keep your job, and you had to deal with that pain. Right? Right? Or you stood for something that that mattered to God and to to you, and no one even batted an eye thinking that it was important. That happens all the time. Now, there's a a significant part in this that I think think is interesting. Uh, When it talks about, um, this is in verse 11, it says, But one day, when he went into the house, this is Joseph, went into the house, to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there. Uh, this clearly shows that, that Potiphar's wife knew that those guys weren't going to be there. She, she kind of had planned it that way. Um, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled. He ran. He fleed, right? So we talked about running from temptation. Um, this garment um, literally probably means that he was naked or half naked when he ran away, right? So the man that is walking righteously is exposed, right? He's exposed, and I don't know about you, but man, what a vulnerable place to be! What a vulnerable place to be! Um, and he di- he did what was right, and he was still thrown in jail. And this is a huge accusation, also. Like, even if he was never exposed because it, she took his garment, um, you know, what, we've kind of lived in a society now where. Accusations are kind of thrown out, um, and I would say sometimes not responsibly, right? And it doesn't mean that those things didn't happen, but it's almost as though the someone that is innocent doesn't get a fair shake. And that, that, this is what's happening, right? A huge accusation, his reputation is at stake. Um, and if I were Joseph, I'd probably be tempted to try to protect my reputation. What's interesting is his father Jacob was, was the king of trying to protect his reputation all the time. And, but there's no account of this because I think Joseph, if or was it wasn't recorded, I think that Moses was not trying to make that a point of look at how he was trying to protect his reputation, that honestly he, he was putting his trust and his faith in God that he was going to take care of the injustice. He wasn't sure how, uh, but um, you know he knew that, that he would need to do that. Now, some of us, again, have been burned or hurt by injustices in this world, in our families. I keep on using workplaces. Um, maybe that's closer to, to what I've experienced, but, you know, J- Joseph's faith was shaped by his attitude that he had about loving God, okay? His love for the Lord. Again, he runs away from the wickedness, uh, but he was living out his faith and trust in God. And one one thing that I think is is interesting, um, it was because he was being faithful to God that we saw an eternal gain. Um, But Joseph didn't have the attitude of saying, well, if I if i do these things i'm going to be protecting israel he had no clue that's what he was doing right he had no clue that, that that's what was really you know part of that process he he was just being faithful to the things that he can control which was to walk in integrity and that's the same for us sometimes we we want to put something on our shoulders that we're not supposed to have for instance the big picture things right we we are just called to be accountable to the lord to be servants of of him, not to carry the weight of the, the world, and that's that's what Joseph was doing um, through this injustice. Was just trusting that he was going to be with God. Um, Charles Spurgeon talks about it this way. It says, externally, it did not always appear that God was with him, for he did not always seem to be a prosperous man. Okay, he had favor in the eyes of Potiphar. He had um, people were seeing that he was set apart, uh, but again. Some wouldn't say that he was prosperous. But when you come to look into the inmost soul of this servant of God, Joseph, you see his true likeness. He lived in communion with the Most High. He lived in relationship with God. And God blessed him. Again, from the eternal gain perspective, not the earthly gain at that point. Galatians, Paul um, is sharing with the the, the church in Galatia. Um, you know, there's been a lot of opposition. There have been people that have been attacking the the news of the gospel of of how does one gain salvation, right? And he and he's trying to defend that it's through grace alone that someone is saved by with when you have faith in that um, and not works of righteousness. Um, and so he is encouraging them, and towards the end, um, he says uh, to them in verse 7, this is chapter 6, verse 7 of Galatians, he says, do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature, but those who live to please the Spirit Will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Here's here's the part for us, right? So let's not get tired. Different translations might say, grow weary. Let's not grow weary of doing what is good. Man, the enemy loves to have a heyday, right? He comes at you once, you can you can defend it. He comes at you again, you can defend it. But we start to get worn down. That's why we come together. Right? That's why we continue to encourage one another. Okay? So don't, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So we do play a part in it, right? We can't just magically like, sit there and think things are just going to magically happen, but we, we need to be faithful to not grow weary, to not give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Here, here's an interesting thing, right? Um, when we are, are working out you know, our faith, when we're on this journey right now, um, the best testing ground of our faith is the body of Christ, right? And sometimes we have a hard time even kind of trusting and not being tempted to kind of beat one another up In this community right let alone in the community of the communities that we're always in in the world and so it's saying hey like don't grow tired of doing the right thing even amongst your friends your community here in your church Um, and so it seems like that was what was kind of happening right that people were kind of tempted to you know backstab one another or to um, share different things that that were happening um, in that and so as followers of Jesus, we're called to endure, right? In 1 Thessalonians, or 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5, um, as they were seeing injustice everywhere, it says, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. Pray also that we will be rescued from the wicked and evil people for not everyone is a believer, okay? So we need to be praying about these things. We should be praying about these things for our fellow believers, and we can start here in this church. That the evil and wicked things that we are enduring, uh, we can continue to withstand those. Verse 3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one, and we are confident in the Lord that you are doing what you are doing, and will continue to do the things we commanded you. May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God. And we are praying that you have patient endurance. And the last part says, the patient endurance that comes from Christ. Right. It is tempting to lose our patience. It's tempting to not endure, to not get tired of injustice in the world, but just let alone just kind of, you know, living day by day. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get, I get weary. Anyone get tired out here? Like daily, right? That's why it talks about lamentations like, you know, thank you, Lord, for your mercies are new every day for us. But we need to acknowledge that. We need to be praying about those things. In Revelation, um, John, uh, you know, he's been exiled to an island in Patmos, and he talks uh, several different times, and he's talking about these end-time things that, um, for some of us, that's intimidating. We don't really want to talk about it. Uh, But the one thing that he he continues to say, he says, keep the commandments and keep the faith. Continue to endure. Because guess what? It's not going to get any easier. Sorry to burst your bubble, right? Like, this is not a utopian place this is it's what's going to call us god's going to call us to have to endure endure that process um that johnny was talking about just like joseph is here you know and he and he's with you um and you may be feeling like okay well god god is with me how many it says multiple times in this passage how the lord was with joseph almost every time it was like don't worry uh, because god was with him right He got sold into slavery uh, with Potiphar, but don't worry, God was with him. Right? He gets thrown in jail. God was with him. God blessed the things he was doing, Um, and trust me, you know we understand that sometimes the world feels like it's the sky is falling, that the world is falling apart, but we have a kind God that understands and sees that like we are in pain that we have to endure these things. Now, there are striking similarities between Joseph and Jesus. Um, There's actually three of them for sure. Um, The first one was that Joseph was tempted, right? And Jesus was tempted. Jesus, before he started his main uh, parts of ministry that are documented, um, he was out in the desert and he was tempted. Um, And, you know, he didn't fall to that temptation, the next one was that he was falsely accused. Actually, in Matthew, when Jesus was falsely accused and about to go on the cross, um, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus uh, so they might be able to put him to death, right? They were, they were always trying to go after Christ. Why? Because he was set apart. And the, the third other place that was similar is that Joseph uh, was unjustly You know, taken to jail, and he was bound in chains. And the same thing happened to Christ, right? He was bound, and he was handed over to Pilate before his trial. But he did that for us. Now, Joseph shows us how to have the same attitude as Christ, Um, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here, but. You know, when we read through a narrative like this, like it can be you know it can be super applicable, um, but we need to understand that there's an overarching story about carrying out God's promise for us, and it, and that was because of what Jesus was going to do for us. In Philippians, uh, Paul encourages the the church. Um, to have the same attitude as Christ. And actually, Philippians 2, 5-8 says, you must have the same attitude as Jesus. Though he was God, okay, he had the opportunity to do whatever he wanted. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Think of Joseph. I mean, he, had, he could have done that. He could have taken advantage of the situation. Verse 7 says, Instead, he gave up his divine privilege and he took the humble position of a slave or servant and as was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. What did he do? He humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on the cross. And that's, that's what we get to celebrate is that Christ did that for you he did that for me is that he humbled himself in trusting in what in God's eternal plan not his earthly plan and if you're here wondering amen God why why do I experience so much pain why is there so much brokenness in the world right he sent his son so that we we wouldn't have that brokenness anymore but as johnny was talking about you know we had the promise and the process and then there's this thing he used perfection or completeness right that that's just that hasn't arrived yet and that's part of walking out this faith in what christ did for us and that's what we have to hold on to That's what we cling to so if you're here this morning and you were hoping to, um, you know, walk away with a lot of really great nuggets for your life, it, it would just say, you know, hold on to the faith. Let's endure with one another. We know that society right now is, is not, you know, they're not super psyched about what Christians are all about. And sometimes we want to walk around and be like, oh, you know, woe is me or or poor me, but the reality is, is They don't care, they don't care. But God cares, he sees you. And we all carry that weight differently. We all carry those things differently, but at the end of the day, we can hand that over to God, but because of what Christ did for us. So as we um, take some time in responding and worship, You know, I want to encourage you to think about you know, do I carry a posture like Joseph, where I want to walk in integrity and do my part, but also know that there's an eternal purpose behind that, and that I can trust Him with that, and that I'm going to trust Him with the injustices that maybe have happened to me, or trust Him with the injustice that maybe happened to someone else. If you're not so close to that type of situation and if you're having a hard time, you're struggling through that, you know, I would, I would just encourage, you know, go back and look at the promises that He has for you. And that's through the Word. But as we stand and worship in a minute, um, you know, just know that I'm here to be praying with you, that there are other people that love to be praying with you. I'll come back up and help in the response time of communion. Um, but, you know, again... I just want to encourage you to to think through those things that I talked about and what what that has to do with you. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come here today. We thank you that we can see the life of Joseph and his faithfulness and how it impacts us today. Lord, we pray, um, well, I pray specifically for those that feel like they've gotten a raw end of the deal, that um, those that do not want uh, those burdens and those hurts on them, Lord, that they would be able to cast those fears and anxieties and that anger, that frustration um, to you, and that you would help them deal with those things accordingly, um, but not from their own fleshly desire, Lord, but from an eternal perspective. God, help us to continue to walk out this faith and perseverance. I pray as we we are reminded of of your faithfulness that we would just be able to worship you and surrender our lives to you today. pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. If you're new, um, we just do things a little bit differently in responding in worship uh, from the message, Uh, but we want to invite you if you, um, you know, call Christ, the Savior of your life, to... Uh, remember that call through communion together and so we have a place where you can take the cup and the bread together as family or individually um, so that's one way we respond also through uh, receiving prayer um, we usually do have um, a woman from our women's ministry over by the prayer room if you are more comfortable praying with a woman or myself up front i'll be over here to be praying with you um and also another way that we respond is just through us giving joyfully um, to our church body, if you feel led um, to do that. But as we continue to respond and worship, um, again, we just want to remember that the one that saved the world <laughs> was unjustly you know, persecuted and brought to the cross, and, ex- and he was exposed from staying righteously before the Lord. And we can be encouraged and find victory in that and not be in despair. So as we continue to respond and worship, um, these are ways that we can do that. And um, Let's just continue to sing our praises.